Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Well, happy 4th of July, Celebrate. There is much to be thankful for, and I am very thankful for Pastor Keith and for his vision, not only for the church, but for this series, Rethink, which has been so good for me, and obviously very humbled that he's asked me to open up God's Word with you today. If you would open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. Now, I know it's July 4th, and we shouldn't be looking ahead, but I'm sorry, I can't help it. It's only 67 days left. I mean, I can't believe it. It's just 67 days. I know we shouldn't, but 67 days left till the start of the National Football League. Now, I'm excited and God's excited because our two teams, we root for the same team, is going to have a good year. And who is that team? The Kansas City Chiefs. Okay? Now, everything I do, I'm a Chiefs fan because it's God's team. And you might go, I'll read. No, everything I do is based out of Scripture. If you would, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Here's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. Built on the cornerstone of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the what? Chief cornerstone. It does not say the buccaneer cornerstone, does not say the viking cornerstone, doesn't say the cowboy cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. If you have a problem with that, talk to God. (laughs) Football is an interesting game, but it's a very simple game. There's offense, there's defense. Offense has one goal, score. That's the goal. The defense has one goal. Do ever what has to be done to keep the offense from scoring. They will tackle you. They will hurt you. They will beat you. They will try to take you out because they have one goal, keep you from scoring. Our daughter went to the University of Sioux Falls, and they've had some great football teams. But when she went there, they had some national championship teams. And she got to know a lot of the players. And because of that, we did as well. So Cindy and I would go to some of the games. And at one of the games... The running back, who was a national All-American, made a great run through the line, and the announcer made this statement. He says, and with that run, and he gave this player's name, he has now gone over 4,000 yards in offense for the University of Sioux Falls. And everybody stands and applauds. And Cindy turns to me and says, is that good? I said, well, honey, considering that every two yards they're trying to break your leg, 4,000 is really good. It's really good. If you're on offense... You want to understand and know the defense. You want to know everything about the defense because when you know how the defense works, you can score. If the defense is going to blitz, throw a screen pass. If they're playing way back, man, throw a short pass. Every offensive play in football is designed to do one thing, score. As followers of Jesus, you and I are on offense. We have never been on defense. We have never been created to be on defense. We've been created to be on one thing, offense. Say offense. And yet, I see so many churches and so many Christians who play defense. I hear it in the way they talk. Man, let's just, let's just hold our ground. Let's not try to give up too much. Let's just hang on till the game's done and, and God comes. Let's just hang on. Friends, we were never created to be on defense. Since the beginning, when Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, 
we are on offense. Christ said this himself. If you look at Matthew chapter 11, I want us to read this verse together. Here we go. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has forcefully advanced and the strong take it by force. Forcefully advance. We take it by force. We are on the offense. Say offense. We have the greatest owner, the father. We have the greatest coaches, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We have the game plan, make disciples. Why are we not winning Why is the church not winning in this country? Why are so many Christians not winning? Because you have an enemy on defense who will do anything he can to take you out. Here's how 1 Peter says it. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Man, I see so many people that don't win in life. They're not winning in their marriage. They're not winning in their finances. They're not winning in hope. Why? Because there's an enemy that they do not know who the enemy is and they don't know how he works and they're getting beat all the time and they are not scoring. You and I were meant to score for God. We were created for offense. See, you can't defeat somebody if you don't know who they are or how they work. Great football teams, especially on offense, they study the defense and they watch a lot of game film, a lot of game film. That's why you'll see sometimes when a quarterback comes up to the line, he doesn't take the snap right away. He looks at what? The defense. And he's looking at what the defense, and now he says, oh, I'm going to change the play. I know what they're going to do. If you watch the center on offense, the center, before he snaps a ball, looks and he turns to the lineman on both sides and he yells out commands for the blocking assignments because they know now what they're going to do. Don't miss this. One of the great things about the devil, he never comes up with a new defense. Since the beginning of time, the devil has played the same play over and over and over and over and over, which doesn't say much for us in the fact that we haven't recognized it and we get beat. So today, we want to look at temptation and rethinking temptation But it starts with rethinking that we're not on defense. We're what? On offense. In fact, we're to be offensive to Satan. That's what we're to be. So take out your Bibles, Genesis 3. I want us to walk through three keys to defeating temptation. Um, This is going to be as practical as I can possibly get it. So let me encourage you, take notes. And the goal would be simply this, take one thing, just one thing out of anything we talk about today, one thing that can help you be more on offense in every way, shape, or form, okay? Who's ready to learn? Who's on offense? Okay, let me pray for us. Father God, this is your word. I have no word. This is yours. You created us for victory in you. You create us more than conquerors in you. You create us to take ground for your kingdom, for you. Help us understand what it means to be on the offense. And Satan, I speak to you. You're on the defense, but you have no power. Because what Jesus did on the cross, you must sit back and you cannot touch the word. You cannot touch anyone here. You're commanded to take your hands off. And all God's people said? There are three keys to understanding temptation. Here's the first key. No the devil's game plan. Say that with me. 
know the devil's game plan. It's the same over and over and over and over. It's the third chapter of the Bible. Let's read it. It's this game plan. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat any fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. He will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was, desire, was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You have to know how the devil works. You have to know his game plan. There are four stages in his game plan of temptation. Let's walk through them real briefly. First part of it is simply desire. Say that with me. Desire. Temptation's not wrong or bad. It's it's, wrong or good. It's just temptation. It all starts with desire. Now, it could be a wrong desire like envy. It could be lust. It could be gossip, impatience. It could be a good desire like clothing, like food, sex. But in and of itself, it's not bad, but it's where it goes from there. Did you catch what said in Genesis 3? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. See, desire is not bad. It's what you and I do with it. Anytime we allow desire to now just go unheeded, go without any constraints, without any handles on it, it will always put you in a spot where you will lose. It always starts with desire. Here's the next part of his temptation. It's doubt. Say that with me. Doubt. The devil's first four recorded words, did you catch what they were? Did God really say? That's what he asks all the time. Did God really say? See, Satan's goal is not to get you or I to hate God. He won't do that. It's to get us to doubt God, doubt that he exists, doubt that he's good all the time, doubt that he really cares, doubt that he can forgive. Did God really say? Because when you and I doubt God, God can't move now because we don't have faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Did God really say not to respond to what they said to you on social media and to get back and defend yourself? Did God really say that to turn the other cheek? Did he really say that? You need to defend yourself. You can't just let that go. Did God really say that it's wrong to live together before marriage? I mean, that doesn't make any sense because he created sex. He created, you guys are obviously in love. In fact, you're planning on getting married. I mean, that was old school back then. This is a new time. Did God really say that? Did God really say that we're supposed to tithe? Or is that the church saying that? I don't think God, because, I mean, that's a, especially in your finances, you can't do that. Did God really say that? It's interesting. Behind every sin is a lie that we believe. So it's with desire, doubt. Here's another one, deception. Say that word with me, deception. We begin to justify. 
Ah, oh, no, that, that's not what God really meant. No, no, no. What, what he was talking about was, and we have to make it in context of today's society because it's a different world now. Back then, that's archaic, but in this world, it's different. Any of you ever seen magicians? You know, magicians are amazing, especially if you've seen them in live. Sometimes you see them on television, but if you see them live, and you're looking, and you, because you, you, I know what they're going to do, what they're going to do, and yet they do it. And how does a magician get it done? By getting you to focus on something else that's going on over here, am I right? Versus what's happening here, and get you to think it really happened when it didn't. I remember watching a magician, it's on television, and this magician made this Statue of Liberty disappear. Okay? And the guy next to me goes, it's up his sleeve. <laughs> Don't think so, buddy. Okay? But it's deception. Interesting. Genesis, did you catch it? Chapter 3, verse 4. You will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat it from your eyes, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. No, no, that won't happen. So it starts with desire, doubt, deception. Here's the other one, disobedience. Disobedience, see, Satan tempts us to sin. Pastor Keith talked about sin last week. But when we sin, he automatically flips it and he becomes the prosecutor. And he becomes the accuser. I can't believe you did that. Oh my word, and you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you did that? Oh, no one, no, you, you cannot be forgiven on that one. God can't use you again in any way, shape, or form. See, all of us get stuck in cycles. Sometimes they go over of good intentions, then failure, then guilt. I want to do this, but end up doing that, and now I feel like this. Paul says it this way, I really don't understand myself. For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Has anybody else ever felt like that, or is that just me? And it becomes a cycle over and over again. How many of you would be willing to admit that you struggle with, let's say, envy at times? How about gossip? How about impatience? How about lying that you didn't struggle with the first three? <laughs> know the devil's game plan. It's in chapter three, it's never changed. When you feel desire, when you feel doubt, when you feel the aspects of deception, disobedience, understand right away what's going on. The first key to having success. Here's the second key. Know your weaknesses. So know the devil's game plan, but now know your weaknesses because does the devil know your weakness? Absolutely. If you are not winning in an area of your life, it's because there's a weakness somewhere that is causing you not to win. If a football team on offense is not scoring, there is a weakness somewhere within their offense. I played football in high school, okay? I was quarterback. Not a very good one, okay? But I was a quarterback. I still remember ninth grade year playing football. It was our first year we could actually play and actually put pads on and, and do tackle, okay, at that point. So first couple days of practice, no pads. We're just out there getting in shape, okay? You remember those days if you've played football? But now we get the first day we get pads on and we get a hit a little bit, okay? Not scrimmage, just hit. But just before the practice ended, the coach said, freshman coach said, okay, 
Tomorrow we'll start doing plays, but we're going to run one play, one play, freshmen against sophomores. And the sophomores are fired up because they remember this from last year. So he puts the sophomore defense together. Then he says, okay, I'm going to put an offense together for the freshmen. He looks at me, he says, DeVries, you'll be quarterback. I've been waiting for this chance. <laughs> My trek to the NFL starts right here. But then he says this. He looks at the players and says, who wants to be center? And honest God, the smallest kid raises his hand. He says, okay, you're center. And I'm going, no, no. He says, get down there. And he puts the team together. He says, okay, we're running a play. Very simple. Take the snap, fake, fake, pitch it out. Great. Okay, here we go. The middle linebacker for the defense was a guy that when he graduated from high school, he enlisted in the Marines, then re-enlisted. He loved pain. <laughs> and this little guy's over me on center. I'm getting down like this. And he leans across this little guy, puts his helmet almost right to my helmet and says, I'm going to rip your face off. <laughs> and he steps back. So I pulled the center up. I said, did you hear that? I said, snap it quick. Snap it quick. Get in front of him. Put him back down. Okay? So I'm like this. He leans over again. The middle linebacker leans over. He goes, I'm going to go right through that hole. And he gets ready like this. Well, that's the hole I'm supposed to fake. Okay? So I pulled the center up again. I said, did you hear that? Snap it quick and get your body in front of him. Put him back down. Well, I'm getting ready. Okay? to take that ball, because I mean, I know what's coming. And so I yelled the hut, bang, the, court, the center did it slow, kind of put an arm out there. The guy came through, hit me, put me down, broke three of my ribs. First play. And that's the reason I'm not in the NFL today. <laughs> we obviously had a weakness. We were not going to score with that weakness. If you're not scoring, if I'm not scoring, there's a weakness we have to identify. Here's the ways you can identify your weakness. It's simply what, when, where, and who. We'll get real practical on this one. First of all, what? What makes me vulnerable? What are my weaknesses? Satan knows. The devil knows. Do you know? What are my weaknesses? Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 4. Do not give the devil a foothold. A foothold is one of those weaknesses. See, if you want to defeat temptation, don't focus on the behavior. This is where a lot of people get mixed up. Don't focus on the behavior. Instead, focus on the emotion that is triggering the behavior. See, whatever behavior you and I have, there's an emotion that triggers it, and the devil knows it. And if he can get you and I to follow our emotions, that's why what dangerous thing is that you can say is, uh, I just feel like this is something I should do. I just feel that is a dangerous statement. Because the minute Satan can get you following your emotions and feelings, he has you every time. One of the things I realized in my addiction is that my addiction, the behavior of my addiction was out of triggers that were happening in my emotions. So what emotions are causing, triggering the behavior? Whether that be pornography, alcohol, eating, workaholic, shopping, variety of different things, they're all behaviors out of emotional triggers. What is causing your weakness? What are the emotions behind it? Another way to ask it is, 
what do I feel right before I'm tempted? Uh, frustration, that was a big one for me. When I was frustrated, it had triggered emotion that created a behavior to escape over here. Maybe it's lonely. For some people, that's a big trigger for them. They're lonely. Maybe you're afraid, bored. Here's what Proverbs says. Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. That's a good one. So what? Here's another one. When? When am I vulnerable? When are you most vulnerable? Is it in the morning, afternoon, evening, early in the week, later in the week? Can I tell you for me? Friday afternoon. It's been a long week. I'm tired. It's, I know I'm vulnerable. I know I am. When are you vulnerable? There's one that I know this. When I'm tired, this phrase says, faith walks out when fatigue walks in. When you're tired, it could be that. When are you vulnerable? This might be another one. Where? Where are you vulnerable? Where do you find yourself being tempted? Is it in your home? Is it in front of your computer? Is it when you go to a store and you know what the budget limit is, but you, hmm, or what, what, where, where do you find it? Another one is who? Who causes me to be tempted? Who are the people around that when I'm around them, I find myself, man, I'm doing things that I normally wouldn't want to do, but it's for some reason I always get sucked in. Know your weaknesses. What, when, where, who. Now here I'm going to do this. We're going to get real practical. If you have a cell phone, I want you to take it out. And on your cell phone should be a calculator. I want you to pull the calculator up, okay? If you don't have your cell phone on you, then take a piece of paper. Because I'm going to give you some questions, and you're going to score yourself. You won't share this with anybody, but you're going to need to add the total up. That's why you want to have your own cell phone, and husband's wife should have their own phone because you're each doing it for yourself. So I'm going to ask 10 questions about how vulnerable are you really right now. Each of these questions is on a scale of zero to four. So zeros over here, fours over here, or you can say one, two, three, wherever you feel right now, you're on this scale. So here's the first question. Am I more physically exhausted? That's zero. Or am I more energetic and in shape? That's four. What number would you give yourself on that line right now? Just put in your, your calculator or on a piece of paper, just put it. We're going to add the rest up here. Okay, that's question number one. Here's number two. Am I feeling more discouraged, pessimistic? That's zero. Or am I feeling more encouraged and optimistic? That's four. Where in that line, what number would you give yourself? Just give yourself a number and add it to the previous one. Here's number three. Am I more bored, discontented? That's a zero. Or am I more challenged and contented in my life right now? Zero to four, what number would you give yourself? Just give yourself a number right now. There's no wrong or right number. Here we go, number four. Am I feeling more spiritually dry and empty? That's zero. Or am I more spiritually growing. That's a four. What number would you give yourself? Here's five. Am I feeling lonely and distant right now, or do I feel loved and close to others? That's four. What number would you give yourself? Just give yourself a number. Here we go. Six. Am I feeling insecure and unsure about my future, or am I feeling more confident and secure about my future? Give yourself a number. Seven. Am I feeling deeply wounded or hurt? That's zero. Or do I feel understood and valued? That's four. Somewhere on that line, give yourself a number. Here's number eight, three left. Am I holding on to anger, grudges, or bitterness? That's zero. Or I have I forgiven everybody? That's a four. Two left. Am I feeling sad and grieving? That's zero. Am I feeling happy? 
That's a four. And here's the last one. Am I feeling more frustrated about something? Zero. Or am I feeling more fulfilled and productive? That's a four. What number would you give yourself? Okay, now just total them up. Just total them up. If you've been doing it on your phone, you'll have the total there. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise hand or anything else, but I am going to give you now a scale to determine. Because if you went to a doctor for physical, they would take numbers. And based on numbers, they'd say, here's some things that we want to be aware of and we should be just concerned about maybe. Here's the numbers from it. If your total is 35 to 40, you're in good shape. Good for you. If you're 25 to 35, you're vulnerable. You need to be careful. If your total is 15 to 25, you're in extreme danger. You're in a setup for a fall. If you're less than 15, you're in a crisis. You don't even know it. And if that's the case, know your weakness. What's your next step? So, you were created to be on offense. Say offense. But if you want to score, not only for God, but you want to score in life, you want to win in life, you now need to know what is the devil's game plan. Number two, you need to know your weakness, what it is. Here's number three. Follow God's game plan. Say that with me. Follow God's game plan. Here's a couple of things, what that means. Here's the first one. Follow the example of Jesus. Follow the example of Jesus. Jesus gave us the ability to understand what to do. One time there was a football coach that went to his main recruiter and he says, we need better players. We need better players. I need you to get me better players. Recruiter says, well, what do you want, coach? Coach said, listen, you know the guy that when he gets knocked down, he stays down, he doesn't get up? I don't want those. We got some of those. We don't, I don't need those guys. He says, but you know the guy that when he gets knocked down, he gets back up? And then he gets knocked down, but then he stays down the second time? I don't want him either. He says, the third guy, the guy that gets knocked down, keeps getting up, knocked down, get up, but then stays down? Recruiter says, I, I know. So coach, what you want, you want me to find the guy that gets knocked down but keeps getting up all the time when he gets knocked down. Coach says, absolutely not. Recruiter says, well, who do you want me to look for then? He says, Find me the guy that keeps knocking all these other guys over. <laughs> Follow the example of Jesus. Jesus knocked it all over. He knocked down death. He knocked down sin. He knocked down the grave. He knocked the devil over. Follow Jesus' example. The thing I love about Jesus, if you look at Psalm 50, a couple things it says. Call to me when trouble comes and I will save you. He says, simply call. I'll save you. But then Hebrews 4 says this, Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. So let us boldly come to our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy and grace to help us when we need it. There's two key things out of, this, out of these verses. One is that Jesus faced the same temptation that you and I did. Sometimes people have a hard time with this. God was, Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. He was fully human like you and I. He let all the things of his God character, he let him go. He was fully man. So let me ask you, knowing that, did Jesus face temptation with anger? Yes, he did. Did Jesus face temptation sexually? Yes, he did. Every temptation you ever had, did Satan tempt him to potentially take authority that wasn't his? Yes. Jesus faced the same temptation that you and I did in every way, shape, and form, but here's the key. He didn't sin. 
He didn't sin. He gave us an example. How did Jesus not sin? He used his lightsaber. I love Star Wars. Okay, I do. All 375 movies of them. I love them all. Okay. The one thing that's consistent with all the Star Wars movies, they have a lightsaber. And man, if you ever watch it, they have lightsaber and all these things are coming at him. What are they doing? They're just going, ding, 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 ding. Am I right? That's all they, ding, ding. Our grandson does this now. He has this bat. He says, it's my lightsaber, Papa. Try it. Just try So I have these plastic balls and I throw them at him all the time. He's just ting, 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 ting. That's it. That's what Jesus had. You're right. He had the word. If you look, Matthew 4, three times Satan came at him and three times Jesus said the exact same thing. You remember what he said? It is written. Ping, 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 ping. I love it. That's why if you're not in the word, you're going to get run over by the defense. Your weakness will be exposed and he'll run all over you. Follow the example of Jesus. Psalm 119 is one of my favorite verses. I want you to read it out loud with me, would you? Here we go. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Follow the example of Jesus. Here's another one, though. If you really want to follow God's game plan, this will sound weird, but let me explain it. Refocus, don't resist. Refocus instead of resisting. The reason I say this is because I, I know a lot of people that they're facing with temptation that keeps coming to them, and I'm, I'm, trying, I'm just I'm trying to resist, and I, I'm good for a couple days, and then... No, resisting will not help you at all. Here's the reason. Because the more that you resist, it will persist. For example, don't think right now, do not think about a pink elephant. Do not think about it. And don't think about a little girl in pink with a little pink umbrella with a pink sash on the pink elephant. Don't think about that at all. Don't think about a pink elephant. Don't think about it. Do not think about a pink elephant. The more I say it, what happens? the more you think about it. Don't resist the thinking of it and said, refocus. How do you not think about a pink elephant? You think about a blue crocodile. (laughs) That takes care of it for you. See, whatever has your attention has you. To resist means you continue to focus. To refocus says, do something about it. So for example, turn the TV off. I have guys that talk to me and say, okay, your struggle of addiction, pornography, that's what I'm struggling with. So, okay, great. What, when, where, who, we talked that through. And one guy I was talking with, I said, let me ask you, when, when is this? Well, it's at night. Okay, where? Well, it's in my home. Okay, in front of your computer? Yep, a computer. I said, okay, is it your cell phone as well? I said, no, because it's a work cell phone, so obviously I'd be fired if that was the case, so I can't send my cell phone. It's, it's my computer at home. I said, okay. I said, do you really, really want to overcome this? I said, if I could give you victory for 30 days, would you like that? He said, I'd love that. I said, great. Bring your computer into the church. Give it to me. I'll give it back to you in a month. He goes, I can't do that. Guess you don't want to overcome it then. <sighs> just bring it in. I said, just bring it in. Okay. I, I should have asked him if it was a laptop. Um, because on Monday, there's a big old desktop in my office, big old desktop. Okay, great. For 30 days, 
he was free because he refocused and he took that time to do something else. Maybe cut up the credit card, maybe just walk away. What do you have to do to refocus? Here's what Romans 12 says. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. Paul said it, another way said, think on these things, whatever is good, right, true, noble, pure, think on these things. Here's another suggestion, using a football term, huddle up. Follow God's game plan, huddle up. If, if you're on offense, and let's say that you were the wide receiver, the ball was thrown to you, and you, you dropped it, you missed it. How long do you have to sulk about that? 40 seconds. Because the minute the play's done, the clock goes, and in 40 seconds, what has to happen? Another play. And if, it, if you're not ready by that time, what takes place? There's a penalty, delay of game. You got 40 seconds to sulk before the next play. Listen, we've all blown it. We've all messed it up. Huddle up. You don't have that time to sulk on it anymore. Some of you have been sulking for years, and you have 20,000 yards of penalty against you. Get in the huddle. Get back in the game. That means get in a life group. Have somebody disciple you that will walk with you. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, two are better than one because together if one falls, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls, there's no one to help him up. Repeat this after me. We are better together. That's why Luke says this, admit your faults to one another and pray for each other. We all need someone to cover our back. We all need someone. That's, of all my Star Wars movies, I told you I love Star Wars. I'm sorry. Personally, you can, it doesn't matter, mean I'm right. Personally, I like number eight and nine. I like the last two. Because Ben and Ray, especially in the times where it gets tough in the ninth one, they're back to back with their lightsabers, and they are whooping tail. I love it. When you have somebody back to back, you've huddled up your back to back, you can win against the enemy because you know his defense and you'll win every time. Here's the last thought on this one of, of following God's game plan. It's simply this, why don't you just give the ball to God? Why don't you just give him the ball? I mean, if you're on offense and you got a running back that every time you give him the ball, he scores, what do you think might be a good play? Like, give him the ball. Or in other words, give him the stinking ball. Just give him the ball. God will do his work. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, when temptations come into your life, remember that they're no different from what others commonly experience, and God is faithful. He will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and when you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you'll be able to withstand it. The solution to overcoming temptation is not willpower. It is not willpower, it's God power. Give the ball to God. God, this is yours. It's yours. Take it. Don't want it. Take it. It's yours. You are on offense. Your life was created to win for God. You are created to take kingdom advance for God. That's what you were created for. But in order to do that, know the enemy. Know his game plan. Because he'll do everything in his power to take your marriage out, to take you out in every way, shape, or form. Know your weaknesses. Understand what your weaknesses are. Be honest with somebody about that. And then follow God's game plan. Use the example of Jesus. Huddle up. Get around other people. Refocus. Get somebody back to back with you. And then give the ball to God and let's score for God. How many of you want to win in life? 
How many are going to win for God? Last story. The animals and the insects were always, always arguing about who was the best. There was an arguing. The insects said, we are because we just have so many of us. The animal says, oh my word, no, you don't compare. So they decided, well, let's end this debate once and for all. Let's have a football game. So animals and insects in a football game to determine who is really the best. I mean, the animals, whoo, they had a major imposing lineup. I mean, the bears were on the front line, okay? <laughs> Holy cow. You had the wolverines, they were at linebacker. You had the eagles as defensive back. You had the deer that were running the ball. And they just took it to the insects the first half. 48 nothing they're ahead first half. I mean, insects are getting hoosters. They're getting their buttons kicked. Interesting thing happened, though. At the start of the second half, the animals kicked off, and the centipede caught the ball. And he ran all the way for a touchdown. And from that point on, he was unstoppable. The centipede made every tackle. He intercepted every pass. And every time he got the ball, he ran for a touchdown. This, this hundred-leg creature could not be stopped. And the insects rolled. It's coming to the end of the game. They're ahead 84 to 48. Victory is in hand. And the grasshopper comes over to the centipede and says, dude, you are amazing. Where were you the first half? He said, I was putting on my football shoes. <laughs> you know, some of you'll get it. Some of you. It's a funny story until it comes to the church. You and I were created for offense. You and I were created to take ground for God, to win for God. That's your purpose in life, to honor him, have a relationship with him, and take ground for him. We're a part of his kingdom. We're on offense. And yet there's offense, there's defense, and then there's a third group spectators. These are people that used to be on offense. They came to know Jesus and, man, they were on offense for a time. And over time, they took off their football shoes and they moved up into the stands. And they watched the game. They loved the game. They loved the game. They wouldn't miss it. They still wear the shirt. They still have the emblem on the back of their car, their team. Man, they cheer for those who are on offense, and they love it. And every Sunday, they come for the game, and they gather, and they cheer when the offense, and then they love the halftime. Man, the band was good. The band was good. A little loud, a little loud, but the band was good. They love the motivational talk by the coach that the coach is giving the players, but everybody on the screen can see it. And they love the motivational talk. That was a great talk. A little long. If you could keep that to about 15 minutes, it would really be good. Man, they love their seats because we always sit in these seats. These are our seats. We got season ticket seats. And the people around us, we all know the people around us, and we have a great time. We love the concessions. It's great. And isn't it great cheering for the offense? And that's what the church in America has become. And that's what the majority of people who call themselves followers of 
Christ have become. Here's the reality. If I'm not on offense, I'm not a follower of Christ. A spectator is not a follower of Christ. A spectator is somebody who's on the field, offense, taking ground for God. It's what we're called to be. And yet we applaud spectators. No. We are called as followers of Christ to win for God. That's who we are. That's why Pastor Key says, we're not going back. And friends, we are not going back to be in a spectator church. We will not do it. If a person wants to be a spectator, love you. Not here. We're going to call you to be on the field. Because there's someone in your neighborhood. There's someone at your workplace. There's someone in your family that you need to go and help win for God. That's what it's all about. So let me ask you, where are you at on the field? Are you on the field really? Or have you taken your shoes off and you've moved up to be a spectator? If that's you, then I'm going to go back to one of our first words, repent. Repent and say, God, I am sorry. I am sorry that I have been sitting when the world around us is getting the hell beat out of them by the enemy. Marriages are being destroyed. Our teenagers are being destroyed. Everything around us is being destroyed and I sit in the stands? I repent of that. We're called to be on offense. That's why the word for this week, offense. I encourage you to put it somewhere and say, God, I'm putting my cleats on. It's game time. Someday I'll be with you forever and we'll party forever. Right now, game time. Father God, thank you for what you did on the cross through your son Jesus. That you rescued me, you saved me. God, thank you that we can win in life, but more importantly, that we can win for you, take kingdom ground for you. Thank you that we can know Satan's game plan, the devil's game plan. Thank you we can know our weakness and we can adjust that and then we can follow your game plan and we can win. But God, this world desperately needs people. They're out there winning for you. God, would you forgive me, forgive us for any time we've been sitting in the stands? Now's the time to be on the field. And God, we want to see you work. We love you. We adore you. Thank you for your word today. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.